it's all about starting points in our spiritual journeys. And today, specifically, we are going to look at rules and the role of rules in a faith journey. And it, rules doesn't really fit because I've, I know people who have given up on faith because of rules. They've said, ah, it doesn't make, ah, just a bunch of rules. And so when I think about religion and rules, they, they I don't know, how does that fit with a, a loving God? And yet every world religion would say they have rules, whether it's the five pillars of Islam, the Ten Commandments, or the, the, the Jewish halakha, they all have rules. There, there are many, many others. Uh, Buddhists have principles. Hindus have principles made by somebody and designed to follow. I think something that we sometimes miss, though, about rules is, is that this whole idea of rules, they always assume a relationship. So whether you're talking about rules in your home, whether you're talking about rules at work, rules in the government, rules at school, they all assume some level of relationship. Let me, let me give you an example. I, I heard it explained like this. There, there are certain models of rules. So, so I put up your family model and then club model. The, the family model of rules would be, as a parent, my wife and I have a child and at a very young age begin to make rules for the child. <clears throat> when the child hits elementary school, we make more rules. When they hit junior high, we change the rules and add another whole chapter. High school, you know, the chapters continue and you add rules. Those rules are not rules that if the kid obeys them, then they can be a part of the family. No, the rules are made because the child is a part of the family. And then at some point, they graduate out and they go on and they have a child of their own and they make their own rules for that child. Another thing about the family model that's interesting, the rules are only made for the children in your home. See, I have never called my neighbor and said, hey, uh, put Joey on the phone. Joey, how come you're still up? Did you get your homework done? Get off your phone and go to bed. Don't forget to brush your teeth. Now, I never have said that. Why? Because... In the family model, the rules are designed for the people in the family, the family relationship. Now, there's another model. It's called the club model. In the club model, you would join the club and you would sign off on a set of rules and regulations that allowed you to be in relationship with that club. Now, at any point, if you break the rules out of the club. So I have a gym membership, sign it up. Okay, I have to abide by these rules. If I break the rules, they can kick me out. Okay, it's a different model, different relationship. There's a third model that I'd like to add <clears throat> that I, I think we'll call the, the neighborhood association model. Now, the neighborhood association model is a little weird. You, you buy a house and you're in the neighborhood, but you never really know what the rules are. And you're, you're kind of open to obeying them, you think, but, but they're not really clear, and you know they can't kick you out and make you move, but they can send occasionally a nasty note, and they'll put it in your mailbox, and it says, hey, the color that you're painting your front door doesn't work with our neighborhood, or your shrubs are overgrown, cut them, or I know you're trying to put an in-ground pool in, but we frown on front 
lawn, indoor pool, or in-ground pools. We're going to put a fence around it. We're going to do something. And so you don't really know whether you're in or out. You kind of know you're in because you own the house in the neighborhood, but the rules are kind of unclear. And the occasional note in the mailbox just makes you feel guilty and shamed. Well, that's another model of rules. Where this transfers to a religious system, I guess this is what we wrestle with then. What model does God work off of? Does God say, you're in now because you're a part of the family, here's your rules. Does God say, here's the rules. If you abide by them, you're in. But anytime you don't abide by them, boop, you're out. Or does God say, you know what? You're a human being. You're all in. And you know what? At the end, do your best. <laughs> we'll figure it out. I don't know. <clears throat> you won't really know whether you're in or out until the very, very end. And I'll figure that out. And it's very foggy. Which way does God handle rules? I think almost all of us at some point in our lives have wrestled with this. With, with this, what is God expecting of me? What, where's the behavior line? Where am I? Am I in or am I out? And how am I supposed to know? Well, this morning, I want to look at a set of rules that is one of the oldest set of rules that humans have ever received. 3,500 years ago, human beings received these rules, and they're in Exodus chapter 20. And if you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to turn there because we're going to look at Exodus 20, and we're going to see a set of rules that God gave to a group of people. Let me set this up. So last week, we talked about a guy named Abraham. And Abraham was given a promise by God that he was going to be the father of a great nation. Abraham had a problem. His wife, Sarah, he and Sarah were very, very old. And so they went about their own way to accomplish this. And and Abraham and Sarah's uh, servant, Hagar, had a child named Ishmael. Now, God fulfilled the promise to Abraham and Sarah and gave them a baby named Isaac. Isaac then had a child named Jacob. Jacob had 12 sons. One of them was named Joseph. Many of you have heard this. Joseph, through a series of events, ends up in Egypt. And in Egypt, he is made the second in command the prime minister of Egypt. There's a large famine in the land. Joseph, being a great relative of all of his family, emails them and says, you got to get to Egypt. We got a bunch of food here. They all come to Egypt. Okay? So you've got Abraham's sons, daughters, grandsons, great-great-grandsons, great-great-great-grandsons, a whole group of them show up in Egypt. They multiply like rabbits. Okay, until there are hundreds and hundreds of thousands of these Israelites, <clears throat> the nation Israel from Abraham, Pharaoh at some point looks around and says, oh no, they pose a threat to my kingdom. And he enslaves all of them. <clears throat> so the entire nation Israel, enslaved by Pharaoh. Hundreds and hundreds of thousands of them, maybe millions of them. For 400 years, they're slaves. 
400 years. Generation after generation after generation after generation. So long that nobody remembers freedom. And they're sitting around hearing these Bible stories about Father Abraham. And God said he's going to be a great nation. And somebody says, "Mm, we're slaves. Yeah, but God promised. Abraham's going to be a great... But do you remember we're slaves? We're not a great nation. We're, We're in captivity. One day, a man shows up. His name's Moses. Moses goes before Pharaoh. You remember what he says? Let my people go. And everybody remembers what Pharaoh said, right? Pharaoh said, no, I'm not going to let you go. What are you, crazy? God intervenes, makes nature freak out. And through frogs and flies and boils and darkness and water turned to blood and an incredible amount of 10 plagues, God brings Pharaoh and the whole nation to their knees. They are led into freedom. Three weeks after they walked out of Egypt, they show up in Exodus 20. They're standing at the foot of a mountain, Mount Sinai, and Moses goes up to get what we're going to read today. So they are brand new to freedom. They were in slavery so long that it would be like somebody coming up to you and saying, do you remember when King George III, oh, taxation? What a, oh, what a terrible king. And you'd be like, what? (laughs) What? They were in slavery longer than that. They would have no recollection of freedom. And they're standing at the foot of the mountain, and Moses goes up and meets with God and comes down the mountain, and here's what we read. It says this, Then God gave the people all these instructions. I am the Lord, your God. To which the people probably said, Really? And he said, yep. I'm the Lord, your God. But, but we haven't done anything yet. Nope. I'm the Lord, your God. But we just got our freedom. We haven't done anything. Yeah, yeah. I'm the Lord, your God. He goes on. I'm the Lord, your God, who rescued you from the land of Egypt, the place of slavery. I am the Lord your God who did something for you that you didn't do anything in reply, in response. You didn't didn't earn it. You didn't deserve it. I am the Lord your God who sent a deliverer in your darkest time and didn't forget about you. I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt when you hadn't done anything for me. And, And the Israelites probably said, well, you're right. We didn't do anything for you. We didn't even know the rules. We didn't even know what you expected. And God said, no, I know. Before I give you the rules, I just want you to know that you're mine. It doesn't say I am the Lord, a God. It could have. No, it says I am the Lord, your 
God. I think God was saying, I have a relationship with you. Parent model, family model. I have a relationship with you. And before we talk about the rules, I want you to know I love you and I have a relationship with you. Because I am the Lord, your God. The one, in case you forgot, who brought you out of slavery. Oh, oh, that God. There was something very interesting that happened during that time of slavery. When Moses showed up, things got worse before they got better in Egypt. See, Moses showed up and he went to Pharaoh, let my people go, and Pharaoh said no. And, and these bad things started happening and the economy was shaking and the Egyptian leaders really tightened the screws on the Israelites, on the nation Israel, on the slaves and demanded more and more and more from them. And all the while, God was sending Moses to the people of Israel saying, just trust God. Just trust him. He has a plan. Just trust him. And they're like, but it's really hard. I know, but, but trust me. But but you don't understand, we're working harder with less mortar. We're trying to make more bricks. And, 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 and God said, trust me. We don't even know what freedom is. Do we even want freedom? And God said, trust me. The night came when there was a special, special message came to the Israelites. And it went like this. Tonight, God said, I want you to sacrifice a lamb, to which they had done that many, many times before. And I want you to have a special meal. And they had done that many, many times before. And God said, but, but I want you to take the blood of that lamb and I want you to spread it on your door, both sides of your door and the top of your door. And they said, what is blood going to do? That's ridiculous. And God said, Trust me. But we don't even know what's going to happen next. God said, no, 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 trust me. Trust me. The night unfolded and the Israelite people did sacrifice a lamb and they did have a meal. They did spread the blood of the lamb on the sides and on the top of the door and they packed all their things because God had said, you pack everything because you're leaving for freedom tomorrow. That night, the angel of death went through all of Egypt, all the Israelite homes and, and Egyptian homes. And when it came to a, a home with blood on the sides and on the top of the door, that angel passed over that dwelling and went to the next dwelling. The next morning, Pharaoh awoke brought Moses in and said, go, get him out of here. Take everything that's yours and get it out of here. In fact, take everything that's ours and get it out of here. The Israelites went to freedom. <clears throat> From that moment on, all of this Jewish people, all of the Israelites celebrated every year something that they call Passover. Not because of the Ten Commandments, not because of the greatness of Moses, but because they had realized 
that God was going to show up and they needed to trust him. So, three weeks later, at the foot of this mountain, they understood already that God's only requirement for a relationship was trust. God's only requirement for a relationship was trust. I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of slavery. I only require that you trust me. He then begins to give the rules, and, and I would expect being a dad, you know, you set the parameters before you give the rules. That's how I would do it, right? That's how we do it. I want to set the consequences. Hey, just so you know, I'm going to give you some rules, but if you break them, <laughs> this is what's going to happen. Hey, just so you know, when I'm going to give these rules, but um, I'm going to go find some new kids if you break these, all right? I've got a lot of them. I'll just find more. I don't know. But, but God doesn't do things, thankfully, like I would do things. Um, look at verse 3. He said, the first, first, first law, right here, first law. You must not have any other God but me. Okay, first rule. I am the Lord, your God. We have a relationship. First rule. I'm the only God. No other God but me. To which I think if I was an Israelite and I was sitting there, I would say, duh, you just showed up in Egypt. We saw you do amazing things. I'm not crossing you. You are my God. You gave me a hope and a future. And my children and my grandchildren, we have something called freedom. We did not know it before. Have no other gods before me. Humanly, I think, yeah, if I was going to start, I wouldn't start with that one. I'd start with the thou shalt nots. Hey, just so you know, thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not. Those are important. God's like, no, 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 no. Most important one. Trust me. Trust me. Have, have no other gods but me. God didn't do it that way because his rules were never a condition of the relationship. They, they weren't a condition of the relationship. They, he had said, I am the Lord, your God. I, I already have a relationship with you. These, these rules are because we have a relationship. They're not a condition of the relationship. Here's, here's another way to word that. I think the Ten Commandments were a confirmation of the existing relationship, not a condition of a relationship. They were a confirmation, not a condition. Family model. God says, I'm the Lord your God. I already made that clear. We have a relationship. Family model. Here's, here's what I wrote down. Israel, we are family, even though you did not do a single thing to deserve it. And now because we are family, because you are my people, here are some rules. And these rules are not to keep you in the family. They're designed to protect you. In fact, the, the Ten Commandments, the rules were designed to protect the people in the relationship. In fact, if you think about most rules that you make in your homes, they're made to protect your family. I have children who tend to be a little violent, 
a lot of our rules are to protect them from each other or to protect their mother from them or to protect me from them. I just made a rule. I don't know why we should have to make a rule that you should, you're not allowed to choke each other out in the living room. Like, why should I have to make a rule like that? The rear naked choke, it's really popular. Apparently, in my house, sadly. But we make rules to protect. And that's what God did. Rules are designed to protect the people in the relationship. God understood that relationships are more fulfilling when friends and family are not lying to each other. Thou shalt not lie. God understands that relationships are better when we're not stealing from each other. God understands relationships are more healthy when we're not coveting our neighbor's wife or husband. And surely God knows that relationships are much, 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 much better when we're not killing each other. Those are commandments he gave, rules. He gave those rules to protect the people because they were in a relationship. And he was saying, trust me. Trust me. I think it's very interesting how God started the commandments, and I, I love it that he started with, have no other gods before me. I want to teach you how to live under my authority. I delivered you. I'm going to walk with you. I'm not going to give up on you. First, first law, first rule, no other gods but me. Trust me. And God never gave up on the nation Israel. <clears throat> they, they made him, they tested him. I mean, the, the whole rest of the Old Testament is written about a nation, Israel, who over and over and over again tests God and tests this idea of trust. And they said, yeah, we're all in, God, you and us, we're all in, yeah, yeah, yeah. But maybe over here, I'm... and God's like, now I got to put you in timeout. All right, 70 years in Babylon. And then, okay, God, now you and us, we're here again. No other God before us. It's you, man, it's you. And then, but well, everybody did what was right in their own eyes. And maybe we're here and God's like, ah, timeout again. All right, the Assyrians are coming. The whole Old Testament is, is that. And God's saying, no, trust me, please, trust me. And I guess what we have to wrestle with today is we're not Israel. I'm not one of Abraham's children. So where does that put me? Where does that put you? And, and what model does God choose to operate with us? Did he just choose the family model for Abraham and the Israelites? And he's like, you know, we have a relationship, so we're all good, but ah, Halstead Campus, the club model. Um, obey the rules and you'll be in. You break the rules and you're out. Some of us have felt that way in our faith journeys, haven't we? We have felt that way. Ah, I just can't keep all these rules. I'm not 
being who God wants me to be, I'm probably out. Maybe it's, you know, is he operating with Halstead Campus as a neighborhood association? Yeah, just do your best, and in the end, you'll know. You'll be on the scale, and you'll be like, nope, didn't quite make it. You'll be like, ah, or yeah, you're good. Like, how do we know that, that God still operates the way he operated with the Israelites? Well, when he, when he made the promise to Abraham, he made it very clear that the promise was about more than Abraham. Genesis 18, 18, and we looked at this last week, but I want to read it again. It says this. It says, For Abraham will certainly become a great nation, great and mighty nation. But it goes on. And all the nations of the earth will be blessed through him. See, this promise was for way more than just Abraham. Because he said, yeah, Abraham, I want you to be a great nation, but, but all nations, us, will be blessed through him. God's plan was much bigger than just Abraham and Israel. And then later, the prophet Isaiah says this of the nation, Israel. He says, he says I will make you a light to the Gentiles. That's me. And you will bring my salvation to the ends of the earth. So, so this promise again was about way more than the nation Israel. Because it says they're going to be a light to us, to me, to the Gentiles. I love it that, that God set the stage for a plan that was way bigger than the people he was dealing with at that moment. Abraham, oh yeah, you're going to be blessed. But you know what? It's much bigger than you. Because your nation is going to bless all the other people. Nation Israel, that's great. You're going to be blessed, but you know what? You're going to be a light, a beacon. Whatever I do through you, I'm going to do in even a greater capacity to the other generations of people who are Gentiles. Well, that's us. It's not surprising then that 1,500 years later, after the commandments were given on Mount Sinai, a man named Jesus shows up on earth. And he walks around on earth and before he demands anything, before he requires anything of anyone on earth, he heals people. He tells nature to obey him. What? Yeah. He raises people from the dead. Jesus. And Jesus said then, okay, trust me. Well, that's the message God said. Yeah, yeah, I'm God. Trust me. And, and one of Jesus' closest friends, John, writes in John 1.12, he writes this. But all who keep the rules? No. But all who behave? No. But all who believed Jesus and accepted him he gave the right to become club members? No. Neighborhood association members? No. He gave the right to be called children of God. To all who believed, trust 
me. The family model. And that's the same message that he tells us today. Trust me. And I don't know about you, but it's hard to trust. Isn't it hard to trust? It's certainly hard to trust because we learn not to trust. Because we try to trust people and they let us down. It's hard to trust because we, we trust things and they let us down. I trust that when I turn the key in the car, it's going to start. And then it doesn't, and I learn not to trust. I learn to be skeptical. I, I try to trust and I trust people and then they let me down and I learn not to trust. And you think about your father and how he let you down or you think about your boss and how he let you down. You think about people and how they let you down, your spouse and how they let you down. And, and yet... Jesus says, trust me. I'm I'm not looking for you to behave first. I want you to trust me first. It's just like what God did in Mount Sinai. I'm not going to give you a list of rules right now yet. I'm going to, wait a second. I am the Lord, your God. Just trust me first. And then here's other rules. You, you may be sitting here today and uh, you may be thinking, you know, I, I have never placed my faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone for the forgiveness of my sins, for hope and peace. And I don't know why you're wrestling with that, but I do know it's a, it's a legitimate wrestle because trusting is not Natural. When you're 52, you've learned not to trust. All my little kids, they trust. I've learned enough to know not to. And yet, to all who believe on him, he gives the right to be called children of God. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Revelation 3.20 says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone will hear my voice and open the door, I will come in with him. Today, it's not much different from Exodus 20. Jesus is saying to us, trust me. Some of us, maybe maybe you're saying, you know what? I did trust Jesus for salvation. And I believe he forgave me and he gave me a peace and a future and a hope. But there are areas of my life that I just don't want to Trust him in. Or maybe you did trust him in those areas and then you took it back. You know, I, when I'm in deep trouble, I really want God there, but now that things are going fine, I kind of want to be in charge again. And Jesus is saying, oh, no, no. Trust me. Trust me. Let's pray. Father, I I thank you for putting up with us, I guess, for putting up with me, for for giving second, third, fourth, fifth chances. Um, You you certainly have done enough 
for me to trust you. And yet I, I wrestle with that. We wrestle with that. God, I, I just ask that you would help us. Um, help us trust you. With those areas of our lives that, that we really kind of don't want to give up. With our finances. With our relationships. With our health. Wh- whatever that is. Help us to trust you. And, and Father, I, I pray for, for anyone here who has not trusted Jesus' death on the cross for the forgiveness of their sins and, and a new life that he offers. I, I just pray that you would help them do that today. We love you. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for not giving up on us. Help us to trust you more today. In Jesus' name, amen.